I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, so if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the number's 1-2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. I have two weeks to search all of the former Soviet Union for the superhumans that can stop a supervillain. Exactly right. These people are our only hope. What's the name of the mission? Guardians. War is over, we and cold We're all the same. Lair. Khan. Arsis. You want to know who did this to you? Come with us. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. Welcoming a new guest today and a fellow author, and that is Jeremy Flagg. Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty darn good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Um, uh, not so keen on the movie we're talking about today, but <laughs> I, had an, I had an interesting experience watching it, which, uh, which we'll get to. But before we do that, um, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Uh, so my name is Jeremy Flagg. I've been writing superheroes for ooh, 12, 15 years, something like that. I've lost count at this point. Um, but when I was younger, I was a huge Marvel fan. And I sent script after script to Marvel trying to get past their minimum age requirements. And every time I got back a, a, a lovely letter from Stan Lee saying nice but no mm -hmm. and i was like you know what i'm gonna have to start uh drawing and i wound up being an art major and quickly discovered i can't draw so that was uh quickly crushing the dream of being a comic book uh creator and so what do you know 
you can actually just write about superheroes. And that's kind of how I got into it. It My books are very comic book inspired and basically the result of having no artistic skill. <laughs> I definitely hear you with that. Um, before I started taking art classes online, I definitely... Um... I was also one of those people who uh, wanted to be a comic books writer, but but couldn't really do the art thing. So I just started writing books instead, um, and uh, which got me and got got how I how I where I got to where I am now. Now I'm actually working on comic books, but it, it definitely took some time to get there. Um, why don't you tell people a little bit about your books, though? So uh, my I have a lot of books out at the moment. Um, I write under Jeremy Flagg, and those books are. Uh, very Marvel Days of Future Past. It's one of my all-time favorite uh, events in Marvel. Unfortunately, only two comics at the time. And I just loved this very dystopian world where um, they're kind of pushed to the brink. And so I kind of take that and expand on it. My My superheroes are loosely based in science. Like, there are logical explanations. I don't have many Superman-type characters um, the, I can almost explain all of their powers except for my teleporter. He's kind of my, well, hand wavy him, ignore <laughs> that. But the rest of them, um, a lot of the stuff is found in, in nature already. So I decided to run with that as a theme. And what happened was my parents were moving out of their house and they were like, we have boxes of papers. You need to get rid of them. And so when I went to go get them, they were hundreds of issues of scripts that I wrote when I was in middle school. And so the books that I write now are based on those. Granted, at the time, they were basically just X-Men ripoffs. So mm. I, I had to kind of go and rethink it. And it it just kind of moved on from there. And then for the past year, I've been writing under Writer O'Malley because come to find out... Um, superhero romance is a, a, a money-making genre at the moment. And it, it flexes a very different type of muscle writing mm. romance. Um, so I've been bouncing back and forth between those. And uh, finally I reached out to an artist and producing my first comic book uh, issue four of it will be coming out in hopefully about two weeks. Uh so I, I've kind of now I'm living my dream at this mm. point. I've I've hit all the genres. Oh, that's awesome! So um, let, let's uh, go back a little bit. So what's the? Uh, and I also had that Marvel rejection letter from uh, from Stanley with the with the little Spider Man image on the top corner. Yes, <laughs> I had that on my wall for a long time as a like a motivational tool. <laughs> oh, um, so many but uh. Them. What's, um, uh, what is your book series called? So the universe is called the children of Notre Dame and the flagships series in that universe is called, uh, it just got rebranded. It's referred to as the synthetic wars. Um, and it kind of, I, I wasn't sure what I was doing with my book and I wound up in the ER and of course you're in an ER, they make you sit there and wait for hours and there was a documentary about Nostradamus predicting the end of the world. And I was like, huh, I wonder if he was really able to predict. The, what if he was the first in a series and that it just all steamrolled from there? Everything started mm -hmm. to together. And so I figured to 
to reflect back on that wonderful experience in the ER, I referred to the whole thing as the children of Notre Dame at this point. Okay, cool. Well, and um, cool. you'd said uh, you'd said that you'd based most of your characters in in science. Um, what was the what was the reasoning behind that? Is it just did you want to just set it apart from um, the most most of the superhero stuff that's more hand wavy, or did you have an interest in science, or what was kind of your thinking to do that? So I, I write best when I have rules and mm -hmm. that instantly kind of thrust some rules on. And there are characters in superhero dumb that I just, I greatly dislike and uh, Superman's one of them. Wolverine's another, um, the Hulk. There are these characters with unlimited potential and basically they almost kind of just super saying their way to victory over and over again. Um, and I know they're more nuanced than that, but to young little me, it was just, oh, when Wolverine comes back from a single atom, I mean, at that point, there's, yeah, that there's was, I mean, I, I'm with you to a point on that. I did like, I did think that the, the whole, he can regenerate from a drop of blood thing is, was ridiculous, but, um, otherwise I, I do, I, I'm more of the hand wavy stuff myself. Uh, anyone who's read my superhero books knows that it's just kind of like, I, I did the Stan Lee thing where it's like, fuck it. This is the explanation and it works for everything. Woo. <laughs> And, and for mine, I'm not even going to lie. Like there, I just refer to it as the Nostradamus effect. How do they get their powers? Just poof, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> and we just accept it because at a certain point, like you can only have so many radioactive spiders before you're like, really what's going on in this mm -hmm. world? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's why Stan Lee created mutants in the first place. He just got tired oh, yeah. of coming up with different origin stories. And at a certain um, you can't, point, like, yeah. There's nothing left. Like you've literally yeah. only so many rabid animals running around in the forest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And only so much you can do with radiation. <laughs> um, and, uh, whoops. All right. Uh, and I, I, and the superhero romance stuff, I had, um, talked with a friend of mine uh who's another she's mostly a, a romance author and we had talked briefly about doing some sort of like superhero romance stuff together where i would do like all the superhero type stuff and she would handle writing all the romance stuff uh unfortunately we never actually got it um up and running but it was something that we had taken a lot of notes on and that was this is going back like maybe five years now but um but from what she said it's actually uh and i think it was just starting then um but what you said it's, it's actually turned out to be a pretty big thing now it so it 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 bothers me to admit it but i sell probably 30 romances to each sci-fi at this point that does not uh, surprise me at all <laughs> and and the pool of people and part of it i think is just the gluttony of the word superhero you're mm -hmm. either to the masses to the non initiated you say superhero they think superman batman and mine don't have capes and cowls, which mm. if I was to go back and do it, I I might go a little bit more into some of the traditional superhero tropes, but in for a penny and for a pound, like, right. I just, I'm on book 15 in the universe and I just oh, wow. now introduced a suit. <laughs> wow I'm, I'm impressed that you're able to keep it going like the most books i ever got in a series was uh was six that was the most i was able to get out of one series after that i i had to move on to something different 
so the way my series works is the in the very very first chapter you're introduced to the catalyst character and then they they have no purpose in the rest of the um intro series and people were angry like i actually got fan mail that was like so about this and i was like well don't worry there's a series for that character okay let's go write that which takes place <laughs> in the 40s and rewrites world war ii and all of history as we know it from there on out then i do a five-year jump and there's a series that goes international because i made sure not to talk about international stuff so i'm i'm bouncing around but the after a while you can only have so many world ending events before mm. you're like again yeah yeah uh, aliens are the next thing i'm considering but uh, it it's hard to justify it in my universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is the soup, is the romance stuff tied into the, your, your main no. universe at all? Nope. Okay. Okay. Um, my, my sci-fi stuff is so doom and gloom. Um, I'm not even going to lie. Like it, it's kind of game of Thrones level. Like don't like a character too much. You don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> my romance is lighthearted slapstick. It just, it's name dropping over and over again. Like, they they track the superheroes using the superhero app trademark um and it it's just the humorous side of superheroes um i in that everyone has radioactive powers or like a random magician or a demon shows up it just mm. I got to get rid of all the doom and gloom and just be <laughs> lightfully fun, which is not my typical personality. So I, mm. that's why I like bouncing back and forth between them. Okay, cool. And um, about the comic book you talked about, uh, tell us tell us a little bit more about that. So originally, um, when I was I went to Savannah College of Art and Design for my master's, and while I was there, one of my high school classmates was going for her undergrad, and I had to go down and visit. And we literally just bumped into each other at a pub and it was kind of a, do I know you? Like, what are the chances? And we reconnected. Uh, she got married to my best friend's little brother. And like, we've just been good high school buddies ever since then. And she went to school for illustration and she's had an ongoing web comic for, Oh God, since, 2010 mm-hmm. and so i was like hey would you ever be interested in collaborating and she was like full stop collaborating with the writer she's like let me explain how this works you're gonna pitch an idea to me you're gonna spend four hours of work and i'm gonna spend the next year of my life making a comic and i was <laughs> like okay reality check yeah so I originally wanted to do a comic book tie into my novels and she shot down every idea. She's like, it's just not worth my time. Like this isn't going to fly. And mm-hmm. ultimately I had a young adult series that I was uh, scripting out for an actual novel. And as she was flipping through my, uh, my notebook, she was like, that's the book I want to work on. She's like, make that happen and we can talk. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the script, pitched it to her and she was like, I'm on board. So we did a Kickstarter. It funded in like a couple hours and 
we've been working on it for just about a year and we're about it's five issues long and we're wrapping mm -hmm. up issue four and it's about right now, probably around 80 pages, but it's taken us a year to get 80 pages. And mm -hmm. she does the pencils, the inks, I do the flats. And then she does the, the three D of fine rendering. Um, yeah. And I did, I, I honestly don't know how uh, a Marvel or DC artist can do 20 pages a week. Like, that sounds like horrific working conditions to me now. So <laughs> I have a lot more respect for comic book artists, inkers, even letterers. Like I now understand a lot more, um, but it's been an awesome project. It's young adult coming of age superhero. So it's still within my wheelhouse. Um, but it takes place in a small town in Maine where we grew up and it's a, it's called I am the first because he literally uh, is the first superhero. And the whole concept behind it is Batman would have never existed had it not been for his trauma. And so we took that idea and went literal and the main character develops powers because of a traumatic event in his life. And mm -hmm that's how all people get powers is through trauma. And um, it's kind of a, a feel good, deep, happy ending light at the end of the tunnel type story, which mm -hmm. is very different than the other two things I write. So it's been fun. I love it. Um, but I will be happy to see it, that chapter close. And then we have another project called I am the last and it's about the last superhero in that universe. So, very cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, uh, I just looked it up on Google and I'm looking at checking out her artwork. It's very nice. Very, very cold. The, very, very, the artist very nice. Amanda work. Call in her comic that she does is called age of night. She does very black and white European style um, artwork. So it's very not typical superhero, which is why we went more with the young adult approach than mm -hmm. the classic superhero. Right, right, right. Um, so what did you, how is it working on a, working on a comic book and what did you learn about writing the scripts versus writing a, a novel? So I went to school for art. Like you would think some of this would be common sense, but she did have to like, she'd be like, we're going to have a zoom call. I need to explain something to you. You mm -hmm. can't, write something in dialogue that is do you remember like old school x-men when the panel would be cyclops using his optic glass but at the same time he'd be like let me reach up and touch my mask so i can use my mm. optic blast and you're like you're showing and telling at the same time and that's yeah that's not using the medium to its advantage and my first script was very much like that. And she was mm. like, stop describing the visuals. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that is because the, the old Marvel method of, uh, of working on comics was the writer would come up with an outline of the story, basically say like, this is what happens. The, the artist would then draw 22 pages just based on that outline. And then the writer would go back in and write all the dialogue to try. So to try and get around that, they'd put in like a lot of, exposition heavy dialogue or putting a lot of stuff in captions and, and yeah that's definitely um 
that was definitely a limitation of a lot of those old comics, uh, especially because, you know, a lot of times there was the whole idea of it was newsstand distribution. So people weren't necessarily getting the comics every week. So Stan Lee's whole thing was every comic can be somebody's first. So you have to make it as accessible as possible. And, and, and so they'd have I a mean, lot of overexposition because of that as well. And realistically back in 1963 is Jean Grey is making something levitate. Mm-hmm popular vernacular didn't understand what telekinesis was. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, but it, it, she, she knew I was a Marvel fan. And so she very quickly broke me of that habit. (laughs) Um, and then what I, what I took away from it and it, it now applies to all my books is the dialogue if your dialogue is crappy in a comic, you, you better hope that that artwork is the most beautiful thing mm-hmm. anyone has ever seen because reading cringeworthy dialogue in a beautiful comic just ruins the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at the time I was teaching high school and I made my students butcher my script and <laughs> they like, Mr. Flag, no one says this. Well, okay, how would you say it? Um, so being 40 and trying to write a 17-year-old, I enlisted the help of a lot of 17-year-olds. So mm-hmm. I still refuse to write it's lit in there, but <laughs> I think that would definitely date it when <laughs> when yes. people read it in like five years' time. Um yeah, I groovy. Yeah, working as a letterer definitely taught me a lot about how little space you have in comics to 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 get your dialogue across, and it definitely changed the way I, I write scripts now. And and now having uh, drawn my own comic book, I'm just I remember drawing the first pages of it and looking back at the script. I'm like, man, who wrote this fucking shit? I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, that's right, I did. <laughs> well, and it's really funny because like we had um, there was a a piece like we're wrapping up issue four right now. And there was a panel that referenced a panel in the first comic and it, it ran counter and it was kind of like um, a continuity editor might've caught it, but here we are. And we're like, crap. Now we need, we need to adjust one panel. Okay. So if we adjust that panel, we can expand that page. But if you do that, then the rest of the, once you're locked in, like you stare at those errors. So it it is worth making sure that every word is where it belongs. Um, and I am very much a fix it and post person and comic books don't allow for that as easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to fix dialogue and post that's, that's fairly easy. That's the nice thing about lettering my own comp, my own scripts is I can look at it and be like, Oh fuck, I did not mean to say that. Or let's try rewording this or, and that's the benefit of writing my own scripts. But when it comes to the artwork, forget it. Once it's done there, it's, it's such a hassle to go back and change it. And, and you all, and now like, I remember reading comics where you're like, something here doesn't add up. And, Mm -hmm. Well, of course it doesn't. They had seven days to produce an entire comic and get that out. So they made do with what they could. So Mm -hmm. I now understand comics a lot better. So I'm, I'm happy I did the process. I think next time we do it, uh, 
the time involved to do that and maintain our own careers, we we kind of put our own careers on hold here and there mm-hmm. to make this happen. And that was that was rough because when we're down to deadline, just doing the flats, like I did not understand. Like it's just Photoshop paint bucket, Photoshop paint bucket. Okay, trace this, do the underwork. And she's just laughing at me. And then we get to a bunch of scenes with fence. I have to color 20 pages of fencing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I'll be happy never to see it again. She's currently coloring fire and she curses my name on a daily. So <laughs> yeah, fire's tricky. I got, I got a lot of turn invisible. Yeah. I, um, I do a lot of, uh, uh, I do all my work in, in clip studio paint. So there are a lot of like custom brushes and stuff like that to, mm-hmm. to, to speed up those processes. Cause it, and it, it, it really gives me a new oppression, uh, appreciation for artists who do everything on paper. Like, the artist I'm working with on on the comic book project I'm doing, he does it all on paper and then he scans it in. And and I don't know how he works so fast at it's such high quality because me, like I did a lot of the background stuff cheating digitally and he does it all by hand. So we commissioned some alternate pages and the one of the artists, he does all of his digital and like he did like a little a video on how he did it and he banged it out in like 15 minutes and then he sends it to his guy overseas who does all his coloring and that's all that person does. And yeah, whole process takes him 15 minutes plus a 24 hour turnaround. I mean, it's crazy. Whereas Amanda is, she does the pencils, sends them to me for approval. I, I thumb up it. She starts Mm -hmm. inking with traditional ink on paper so she has the full flats, um, scans it in, fine tunes it in Photoshop, sends me the uh, Photoshop files. I do all the undercoloring, send it back to her. So I now, <laughs> like if I go back and think of like old school comics that I would read, I was never a big, like, I don't know names. I can tell you mm. who the major writers are. Now I want to go back and I want to memorize every colorist, every inker, every penciler because, damn, they've earned it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ink, the colorists at first, at least, uh, it was a very simple process. Like if you look at the older comics, they didn't have a there wasn't a lot of artistry to it. But that changed probably about like the '90s is when that started to change. Is when they started to use more advanced coloring techniques because the the printing process just wasn't there. In fact, in fact, I think the original Marvel stuff, if I'm remembering correctly. They didn't color it in house. They would actually just send it to a printer and they would do the the coloring process because it was just very. Oh, that wouldn't shock me at all. It was very. It was just all flat stuff and it wasn't very detailed at all. Uh, but now coloring is like an art form in itself, and and sometimes well, like and- in one of the publishers I work for, we have um, they they do they have someone separate do all the flatting and then someone else will come and do the coloring on top of it, just like you were saying about you and and Amanda. So we've decided next time what we're going to do is we're going to hire someone out for flatting. If we decide to do color, because we're going to do a second series, a a final series of this continuation, we feel that uh, we kind of have to keep the process that we have going, Mm -hmm. which is a pain in the butt. But if we um, 
we have a bunch of series that we've talked about doing moving forward and some of them might stay black and white some of them if we do decide to go color we're outsourcing that it just mm-hmm. we might even uh outsource the rendering um mm-hmm. she she knows everyone in the northeast when it comes mm-hmm. to independent comics and right now everyone's itching for some sort of work so mm-hmm. let's make it a process yeah 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 definitely saves you a lot of a lot of time i'm doing the inking and the colors uh, on this project and it it's it's a lot of work it definitely has um i'm cursing myself to make that decision at some times but it's something i committed to and and once you're in it it's not like mm-hmm. It's not like a Marvel comic where every issue can be a different artist. You're like, oh man, I've kind of committed to this style. Right, right. Yeah. I'm in it. Yeah. Crap. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Things All right. You uh, learn. Yeah, things you learn, absolutely. <laughs> uh so today we're talking about the uh the Guardians movie. Not the Guardians of the Galaxies movies. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'm actually gonna be recording an episode on Guardians of the Galaxy 3 tomorrow. Um, at the time we're recording this. I think it'll actually come out on the feed before this episode, though. But um, The Guardians we're talking about is a 2017 Russian movie. The original title is, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Zashitniki is, is what it's, is how it's, is how it's spelled. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, i go with. Yeah, I, uh, just stick with Guardians. <laughs> it's easier. But I, I remember when this um when this trailer came out and i remember generating quite a bit of buzz online when the trailer came out and then i just kind of forgot about it and i never saw anything of it and then you'd contact we talked about it and you'd ask me if um if you could come on you're like can we talk about bad movies i'm like yeah (laughs) sure we've talked about bad movies before so and you're like i want to talk about guardians i'm like okay i don't know if i can find it here in japan and then i'm just like and I checked the streaming service. No, it's not in the streaming services. And I'm like, oh, wait, the video store actually does have it. So, yeah, we can talk about it. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. here's so the go best ahead. part. I I like this movie. Mm-hmm. I There are sometimes, sometimes you go into a movie with such high expectations that it's got to deliver or you're going to be let down. I saw the trailer for this movie and I was like, this is batshit crazy. Like mm. what you literally just reached into American cinema and you kind of cherry picked very specific things. And I'm intrigued with your decision-making. So when I saw the trailer, it, it wasn't a traditional superhero movie and I, I like different and I like foreign films. So let's give this a shot. And for me, there are a handful of places it delivered. Mm. And then there's many, many places where it forgot to deliver at all. <laughs> so the big thing that stood out to me on this is just like, so I'm, I've, I've, I've got a, I had a tough time with this movie because the, the subtitles that I found for it were, were just God awful. Like, it's just like, I mean, I've, I've seen bad subtitles before these are without a doubt the worst subtitles I have ever seen. It's just like not even. I I think if I took this, if I took the Russian subtitles and put them through Google Translate, it would have given me better results than whatever the hell these subtitles were. It was just 
impossible to figure out what was going on. I mean, at one point there's, there's several times where they talk about like one of the characters, um, the, the bearded guy, uh, uh, Lur, he talks about his, his child. And the subtitle, I, I, I say child because I don't know if it was a son or a daughter because the subtitles identifies it as both. And, and the, so the first time I watched it, I watched it with, uh, subtitles because, okay, let's, I genuinely would prefer that the actual actor's voices be in there. Mm. The original actors, there are moments where the acting is so subpar that I was like, I think dubbing may improve this. (laughs) So the second time I was like, okay, let's do dubbing. And I'm pretty sure they did run it through Google Translate (laughs) and just read it. And they read it with so little emotion that you were like, were you, were you forced to do the dubbing against your will? Cause that's what it feels like. (laughs) I I didn't see the dub. I do wonder how it would have compared to the subtitles I got. Um, Cause I, I prefer subtitles too. We've done an episode recently on, uh, we recorded an episode recently. It hasn't been out yet at the time we're recording this on black mask, the, the jet Lee film from the, from the nineties. Mm-hmm. And, um, the version I had was the dubbed version and the actors on that dub were just terrible. And it was, it was just so awful. So I wonder if it's, if it's like that sounds like it's like that level of dubbing where it's just like, they didn't care anything about, Sometimes you get dubs these days and they'll put some work into it. Like the yeah. a lot of the Ghibli films, they'll get like A-list actors to come in and do the Amer- the English dubbing for it and, and stuff like that. But this was just so in, bad. So bad. In in like I watch a lot of Korean cinema and because the the linguistics are so different, an American actor will give the line and there's like this extremely bizarre long pause mm-hmm. as they have to wait for the film to catch up or they talk slowly so they can, and you're like, Whoa, Whoa, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this. In this one, there were a lot of moments of that where the actor would say the English and they're, they're still significantly talking. Well, in dubbing, you can change the script a little you can mm-hmm. add in a filler word here and there to have it fit more organically. And I I feel like they got the original script, ran it through Google Translate. It is what it is. No one can edit it. Here you are. Yeah. And it it did it a disservice, I think. <laughs> Across yeah. the board. Yeah. Um the I, I can't really comment too much on the plot. I barely understand what was happening because the the the, the subtitles were just so bad. Um, so mostly I'm just kind of like trying to piece together from, and sometimes they just didn't even bother translating stuff. Like there's literally points where it's just like, I think that's a word in Russian rendered in, in uh, Engl- the English alphabet because that does not, that is not any English word I know. And it's not like a character's name or something. So I think you just gave up. And so, um, but I will say one of the things that um, was interesting is the effects on this movie, not bad for a budget of only $5.4 million. They, they, they use that budget pretty effectively for the most part. So, and let's compare. 
5.4 million the same year that Guardians of the Galaxy came out with 250 million. Mm-hmm. So they had a 5.4 million budget for a uncanny amount of special effects. I will mm-hmm. I'm pretty impressed with the special effects. There there were some spots where things didn't quite line up, but again, 5.4 million. I knew that walking into it. The the acting uh, that could have definitely paid up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there were so many scenic shots that required special effects that I I I truthfully don't understand how on a $5.4 million budget, this film got made. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if they had some people ch- <laughs> chained up to their desks or something, to their computers. So funny story. I, I went and did a little bit of background research because I was curious about the success of the film and what, you know, what kind of happened. It worldwide, it doubled its, um, it made 9.7 million, which in movie terms is a failure because you, mm. you're supposed to make a minimum of three times the amount in. The studio that created it went bankrupt and no official numbers were ever reported. Everything is like this bizarre estimate on ticket sales, but there right. was no international distribution of this movie. Like everything, the moment it hit Russian theaters fell apart. And so there are theories like the studio was trying to keep itself afloat. And this was like their ambition, like uh hail Mary, mm. but it again, 5.4 million. Like, yeah. Um, it, well, like you're, you're saying, uh, cause you said it doubled its budget and this goes to what you're saying about the, the, the murkiness of what happened because it, Wikipedia says the box office was 15 million. So it's, it's uh it's definitely a bit of a black box and um and what it says here is that it had, it grossed 83 million ru- rubles um and uh 213 in the first 4 days which is below expectations um and then on the second weekend it dropped by 90% and the gross kept dropping 90% every single weekend after that um and then yeah in July of that, it came out in February. In July, the the production company filed for bankruptcy, and yeah. the Cinema Foundation of Russia had sued the company because they um they had put put up part of the budget as well. Um, and this was just just the background on it. This was by large one of the most ambitious films done in Russia, entirely Russian made, and. Mm-hmm they were trying to cash in on the Marvel craze and this was their answer to the Avengers. So just right. a, a quick summary of the plot. There's it, it opens with some genetic experiments. You're not quite sure what's going on. Crazy scientists are basically super seruming uh, Russians and we get a handful come to find out one of the scientists goes rogue, tra- keeps continuing his experiments, winds up, uh, getting blown up by the Russian government. He survives the accident, gives him powers and the, the plot at that point gets a little bit like, let's just glaze over because why is he doing what he's doing? Because 
he wants to prove to the other scientists that he's cool. Like, I'm not mm. entirely sure there. Um, but then it's very classic superhero. They go out, they find the heroes, they put together the team. The team um, goes out for their first battle. They get their butts handed to them. They have to regroup, have a deep thought moment. Then they go out and stop the villain whose real ambition is to, he takes uh, his powers to take control of technology and he wants to take control of an old Russian satellite, which is basically a laser and destroy Mm. the world. So a classic superhero across the board. Like I don't think anything plot wise is revolutionary about this. Right. Yeah. Um, But I, now that I've rewatched it, I think it failed in the same way. And I know people can chew me out for this. The justice league movie. I didn't like the justice league movie. I liked a lot of things about it, Mm -hmm. but I didn't care enough about the characters because it was too much about forming the team. And I didn't have enough invested in the characters. This was the same problem. Never mind. He woke up as soon as I put him down. (laughs) Oh, it was waiting. It was a trick all along. He always does that. Yeah. Sometimes he'll stay down. It's like a 50 50 chance. All right. Oh, shit. I forget to hit pause on that. See, my. Um, it's funny you mentioned the Justice League stuff to it because. And. I know this movie was as like a response to the the Avengers, kind of like Russia attempting to do their version of the Avengers. And then they'd said apparently a sequel would have been, um, would have added uh, some superheroes from China and they would have had, um, uh, it would have been co-financed by Chinese studios. And so it seemed like this was kind of like the, the, um, the, the, the authoritarian world response to the Avengers in a way. And there, this series was supposed to be, but this one failed and that never happened. And the director had also said um, that guardians two never came out because he said that Deadpool two was to blame for it because Deadpool two had basically the same plot they were going to use for guardians two. And so that was why they decided not to do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it I, I see the, the Avengers comparisons, but really I think justice league is a much better comparison. Cause this, this has got a very Snyder feel to it. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's like, everything's, you know, kind of dark. There's not a lot of bright colors. Everything's kind of fil- filmed with this blue filter. Um, it's a much darker take on superheroes in general. In fact, I think one of my biggest problems with the, um, the, I mean, well, I think with man of steel and with uh, the, the Snyder cut of justice league, Batman v Superman is another story that just, that was just a dog shit script, but, but those man of steel and, um, Snyder's justice league, they, they're not bad movies in themselves. They just don't fit those characters. And I think if you took that same approach, honestly, if you gave these characters to, to Zack Snyder and had him make a movie, but with these characters rebooting it, I think that would have been a lot more interesting. And I think they're so, the way they introduce the characters, I one of the things that I dislike a lot in superheroes, and it's because I've read the comic books, an origin movie to me always feels redundant. Just mm-hmm. I, I get for the masses why it needs to happen. I'm along for the ride. I'll support it. But a lot of the times, 
I always think, oh, I think the comic did it better. Yeah. And in this case, when they introduce them in the beginning and it's just this uh, montage of medical papers showing their powers in a very scientific kind of way, it it felt like the flashback from Wolverine, the second X-Men when Wolverine keeps having the flashbacks of what happened. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. We don't need to see it verbatim. Just those little flashes give us, I mean, we can fill in those blanks. But when they're introducing the individual characters, they they each have a, uh, a heart moment where mm-hmm. she at the beginning, she can't remember anything about her past and that humanizes her. And then later on we have Lur who he almost died and he thinks about his daughter and or son. We're not sure. <laughs> and then uh, the bear um, has Arsus. a moment. Arsus has a moment where he thinks, well, I'm losing myself to the beast. And they're, they're all like exactly 90 seconds long. The uh, lady Nick Fury goes around to each of them and has this heart to heart moment. And it refuels their vigor. And that was so awkward in an otherwise action-packed movie that mm-hmm. give give us those backstories in an individual or even like a, a duo movie. And now it feels earned. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, it was like, we need to make the audience care about these characters. So let's give you a really fast flashback essentially mm. and hope it sticks yeah well, it was i'm awkward. with you i'm with you on the origin story thing um so i because i think i think a big part of it is just that the origin story is is like the easiest story that hollywood can tell because it's it's just very simple it easily fits into the hero's journey uh a typical 3x structure so it's very easy for for superhero movies to do that which is why they kept doing it over and over again and i think Marvel finally got wise to that. And they're just like, if we just keep doing origin stories, people are going to get really sick of these movies really fast. So we got to change. And that's why after pretty much after Dr. Strange, they had stopped doing origin stories. And then Captain Marvel was kind of an origin story, but they did it in a different way to try and play with yeah. that format. Um, and even experimented and, like Ink man yeah. was a heist origin story. So right. it, it's getting a little genre in there. And I was like, that's all it needs to be. And now I'm, no, I'm invested. Unfortunately, this was straight up an action movie. So, mm-hmm. right, exactly, yeah. And I maintain that the best origin story in any superhero movie is in the Incredible Hulk because that origin story—it's just boom. Those opening credits, five minutes—they mm. tell us everything we need to know, and then we're off to the races. Um, and, and that's all you need. It's just, it, or else Spider-Man Two did that too, right? They just recap the origin story very simply in those opening credits. And and I know this is nobody's favorite whatsoever, but in the um, uh, oh god, the Amanda Waller, I can't think of the name. Suicide Squad. Suicide. The first Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. I liked the comic book like slap. Here's the background story. And if they had done it for the whole cast and just kept moving, mm-hmm. it would have been fine. But then they were like, "But this character needs more, so we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna really." Sp- no, we, we get it. We're watching a superhero movie. We don't need that extreme amount of depth, especially in an action movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was one of the few good parts of Suicide Squad. I agree with you. I like that opening a lot. Um, uh, the rest of the movie, not so much. Yeah, it, it fell apart yeah. right after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but also talking about the um, the the different characters and all that and having the, these character beats, it kind of reminded me of, this is going to sound like a weird comparison. Did you ever see Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood? Yes. You remember how periodically in that movie, every time they have those like heart to heart moments and then um, Damon Wayne's the mail who's playing the mailman, he pops in, he's like message. It reminded me of that. <laughs> it, it might as well have had just descend from the top of the screen, a little heart mm-hmm. <laughs> 90 seconds. If you don't want an emotional moment, this is where you go get your popcorn. Yeah. But like each one of them and and the best part is she is for all take Scarlett Johansson, have her and um, J law have a love child. That is the, what's her name? Uh, major Elena Lorena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she's Nick Fury. Yeah. <laughs> that is who we got. And she is not cold, but she is a very, stereotypical Russian duty above all else. And then she's almost like a lean in, like, tell me your problems. And you're like, mm-hmm. what is going like, <laughs> are you really a therapist? It. Yeah. Uh, I also thought it was interesting. They had the, that star Wars thing. It was like, they brought in the, they brought in a mention of the Reagan era policy. I'm just like, of course it's a Russian movie. So they got to get in a dig against Reagan. And the best part was Reagan's to blame for this mm. movie happening. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it just kind of cracked me up because the whole movie, like whatever you feel about Russia, like the, the images that come to mind, the, the personalities, the, every stereotype, this movie for me just reinforced them. Like, I don't know what real Russian life is like, but if it's like <laughs> this movie, it is exactly as it's been painted in Western culture. So I don't know if they were trying to ca- cash in on that, but the moment when they were like, yeah, this is all because of response to Reagan's Star Wars project. I'm like, mm-hmm. thanks. Make it our fault. <laughs> it, uh, that was it, it. You're right. I mean, it, if they were trying to break any stereotypes of that people outside of Russia have uh, of Russian society or the Russian government, they did not succeed at all. And, and it's funny because uh, you know, we're just coming off something like stranger things, which has a really strong Russian element to it. And those people um, that are in the, I'm not going to spoil the newest season in case people haven't seen it, but there's a, contingency of it that has a very strong Russian influence and they're very three-dimensional. Like you have a little bit of stereotype, but then you walk away from the stereotype. This, it is so stereotypical that every time it shows her having an aha moment, she is standing center on the camera and every person behind her is staggered in a perfect arrow. (laughs) Like, do you have all of your uh, telecommunication scientists like a mark on the floor where they're required to stand when you have like a, a briefing moment, because <laughs> that got a little bit kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of moments where you're like, 
are are we supposed to be taking this serious? Oh, back to the action. Never mind. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna gloss over it. Yeah, and I I don't I can't really comment a whole like I said I can't really comment a whole lot on the um the the plot um as far as the effects go I thought um. Lur was interesting, the telekinetic guy, because at, at at one point I'm just like, okay, come on, you keep grabbing any stray rocks that are falling around, and it's it's getting a little. But then he assembles like this rock arm. I'm like, oh, okay, now we're doing something a little bit more unique. Okay, this is cool. I'm down for this now. And um, Khan, uh, the guy with the blade, the teleporter with the blades. I thought he that was. I thought those effects were handled really, really well. And, and a lot of the action scenes with him and use and when he puts the swords together and all that, I thought that was also really well executed. They, I, I swear, whoever came up with his character watched X2, but only watched the first like five minute scene with Nightcrawler and the teleporting fast to slow to fast and the camera movement. They studied that to a, such a degree that they were like, here's what we can do to make it better. And Mm -hmm. every time he is using his abilities, I feel that there is someone on set who fully understood how to make this look so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, We had just done an episode on, we had just done an episode on uh, X2 and that was, so it's very fresh in my mind. And that was exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, they, they definitely paid close attention to that opening scene of X2. And even Lur, when he, uh, so yeah, the, the opening, it's just, every time it shows him, he just makes rocks levitate, like, eh, whatever. And you're like, oh, so you're basically going to be a giant slingshot the whole time. Mm-hmm. And the first time that he pulls all the rocks and makes body armor out of it, I was like, okay, you just went up in the cool factor. But he looked so much like the thing from mm-hmm. the comic books at that moment that I was like, oh, like, this is what, remember the, uh, whatever the newest Fantastic Four movie, I can't even remember when it was made. It, it was, was um, it was about, I think it may have been this same year, if I'm not mistaken. It, it almost felt like the people who made Fantastic Four should have called the people who made the Guardians and said, <laughs> hey, can we borrow that because your special effects look better? Yeah, yeah. God, everything about that movie was just a... <sighs> Um, don't even get me started. So, okay, so we go from the thing. My favorite part of this whole movie was her invisibility powers. Now, mm-hmm. there's consistency errors all over the place for her. But her opening scene and her powers, she can go invisible, but only when wet. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, that's... Where are we going with this? Because that's just an interesting little limitation to your abilities. Yeah. One, she's like her fight scenes were just amazingly choreographed, a little Mm. ridiculous how choreographed, but I mean, wow. I hope that stunt double got paid well. Um, and then, but it's funny because in the opening scene, she's wearing a dress. She dives into some water and goes invisible and all her clothes are invisible. Then later on, she goes invisible. All her clothes go invisible. And then they make this whole thing about giving her a super suit that can turn invisible with her. And you're like, <laughs> has no one else been watching this movie? <laughs> like, I didn't even catch that, but suit. yeah, you're right. It's like two minutes of them explaining these cool new suits that will enhance their abilities. 
And you're like, also, part of her abilities is that she's uh, she can control her body temperature. Mm-hmm. Never to be seen again. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm like, that's a weird note to make. And then to just never touch on that. Like, don't. Um... And I saw fans say maybe that's why she survived the electrocution. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't get explained. Like, you're, yeah. you're kind of left going, what is happening? So I feel like the first act of this movie was every piece of potential the second act started delivering on it. There, there were some some slip-ups, and then those slip-ups made the third act just batshit crazy. Like it mm. none of it none of it made sense. And not yeah, and, not batshit crazy in a good way, just batshit crazy and none of this works. <laughs> and can we talk about the bodysuit for the villain? Oh yeah. <laughs> he is So he's like seven feet tall, but like no neck. Like it goes from his ears to his shoulders and he's like all jacked, but in like kind of grotesque way with veins everywhere. It would have just been easier if they just picked some tiny little Napoleon complex Mm -hmm. scientist, like him being this jacked, ridiculous looking dude. Did you want, did you go to like a a dollar store for that costume? Because that's not where you spent your money. Yeah. That bodysuit was one of the worst things. I've, and it's so jarring because you've got all these special effects happening all around him. And you're not even paying attention to it because you're so distracted by how bad those sculpted abs look. And like the the opening when all of a sudden technology starts to go awry and killing all these people. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in, where's, where's this disaster going? Mm -hmm. And he walks through the smoke and you're like, were you bullied as a kid? Is that, is that (laughs) why you got so jacked? Cause you, you went in the wrong direction here. Mm -hmm. And it, and the fact that everyone takes everything so seriously in this movie, you just want, like you want one of the, uh, one of the guardians to stop and go, we're supposed to be scared of that thing. Like Mm -hmm. not quite Instagram worthy over there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it, it, it talking about, again, taking it back to the Snyder movies. That was one of the biggest flaws. A lot of those movies is just like how serious they take themselves. And this one has that same problem. It just takes itself way too seriously. And at the end of the day, I mean, I'm fine with, you know, superheroes having some serious stuff in it. Like I, you know, Watchmen is still like one of, one of my favorite books ever. Um, but still at the end of the day, you're doing stories about people with crazy powers dressed in funky suits. So it's, there's a, there's a, there's some aspect of ludicrous baked into the concept from the beginning. And in the first X-Men, they address mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Would we look better in spandex? And you're like, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. That justifies you being clad in leather. I am okay with it. But I I appreciate that you gave me a nod and you acknowledged how ridiculous this would be. Mm-hmm. And then Deadpool is basically in spandex, which just lends <laughs> itself right there. Yeah, and um, so we talked about the bodysuit, but I also want to talk about Arsis's, uh bear form because talking about effects that did not work out so well, like it looked cool in the trailer. And it was, and I realized 
because the trailer took the best clips of that form. Because when you watch it in an extended form, you're just kind of like, oh my God, this really looks like it's taken out of a video video game and just like pasted into here. And and at the again, the first act feels like that's where they spent their money. And it almost feels like the director got into a contract negotiation in the second act and then was fired for the third. Because in the first one, they make smart camera decisions. It shows him from the back shoulder as his body kind of ripples back to human. It will show his snout elongating. But they they made smart camera choices probably because they were like, hey, we can't afford to do this over and over again. So let's right. pick our moments. And then when you finally get the moment, you're like, oh, all I could see was man bear pig from South Park. I kept thinking the exact same thing. I was thinking the exact same thing the whole time. If man bear pig had a Gatling gun, it would have been those special effects. Oh my God. I can't believe. Yeah. We both had the exact same thing. I'm not even a big South Park fan. And like, no. even still, like as soon as I saw, I'm like, that's man bear pig. <laughs> and, and did, <laughs> The number one critique of this movie, like if you go read the reviews, are his pants. <laughs> he turns into bear form. He's a giant bear, just all bear, like giant brown bear running around. And then suddenly he transforms back. And much like the Hulk, his pants are back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't happen like once or twice. We're talking like six or seven times that his pants mm. get destroyed. And yet they're always back on him. Like... Glad to know that that's what the people on IMDb are concerned about. <laughs> I, that didn't bother me that much just because that's that's a conceit of superhero movies, just like yeah. with um, with, you know, with shapeshifters, their clothes changing and everything, too. So, it's yeah, it, it, it doesn't make a lick of fucking sense, but it's it, it's just part of the it, it's baked into the concept. So you just kind of go with it. Um, and it's so baked in that when Peter Parker has to always make comments about finding his suit his street clothes because he put them somewhere. You're mm-hmm. almost like, come on, can you just be like every other superhero and always have them on you? Like micro form, like, mm-hmm. you know, like the flash ring just right. Poof, we are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Overall, I think this, it's not a good movie. Like, let's just be real. No, it, it's, it's not a good, uh, the, there's no, there's watch, nothing to these characters. It's just like all stock emotional stuff. It's like what, I mean, I feel like, you know, they're talking about, you know, the fear of like AI writing scripts and everything. This script feels like it was written by AI. It feels like you fed an AI a bunch of superhero movies and you said, write me a superhero movie set in Russia. And yeah, that is like I like the movie and I can't defend it. Like, and I always tell people the first 20 minutes, you're going to walk into this movie. Hopeful. Mm-hmm. Like when you see her using her invisibility powers, you're like, wow, that is what the invisible woman should have been in the fantastic mm-hmm. four. When you see, um, what's his name going around with the blades. You're like the best part of X two right there. Like it's mm-hmm. nothing but hopeful and you're excited for it. And then minute 26 happens and you're like, what? Yeah. And all hope goes away. Yeah. I mean, I would say honestly, instead of sitting through this movie, cause, and again, now I'm not, at first I just thought it was a bad subtitle file that I had found for it because I had to, 
because the the version I got it only had Japanese subtitles, so I had to you know dig up American subtitles, English subtitles from the from the internet. And at first, I just thought it was just the subtitle file I found was a bad one. But from what you told me about the dub, and like they still don't know if it's his son or his daughter, I'm thinking it's just like I don't know if there was a good version of these subtitles. And. And I actually, like, I wish I knew someone who spoke fluent Russian because I, I want to be like, hey, I got a great movie for you to watch. Go check this mm. out. And we can talk about it afterwards because I just want to ask, like, does it deliver better in Russian or? And the other thing is, and I don't know this, um, I started trying to dig around for it. I don't know what Russian cinema has for American distribution. So are Russians becoming acclimated to the Marvel movie way or the DC movie way? And it made me wonder if, if I had not seen another, if I only had X-Men one to compare this to, I'd probably be a lot more forgiving. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder if there is like a, a time gap in because I watched the making of this afterwards, like in all its rushing glory, there's no English subtitles. So you just had to watch <laughs> it. Hope you can understand it. But like their green screens are not green screens. They are green curtains that are being hung and you can see them hanging them like curtains. Like there's not an official green screen room when they were doing the, the rendering they're using computers that we haven't seen for a decade. So <laughs> like it did make me laugh that every time the techno guy like looks at this 1970s computer, like he's professor Xavier and basically mm. his superpower is to make the, the font move quicker. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's just, after I watched that, like it made me wonder, like, would I have a different opinion if I didn't have all this other exposure? And it made me wonder, do they have that exposure? I think they do. Um, I was just looking it up. And if not, like, I think they do have those, they do get releases in Russia. And if not, they've got, there's such a big black market for like movies oh, yeah. and stuff in Russia. So they, they're, they're definitely aware of them. So I think they're definitely to be comparing it to, um, <laughs> I would just, I was curious. Uh, Cause I, glanced at the IMDb reviews and I checked up uh, just looking at Letterbox now. Um, your review is the first one that pops up on my Letterbox actually. And then I see another one. <laughs> just, I want to fuck Russian Nick Fury so bad. <laughs> she, so there, some of the stuff that it does well, like there are the concepts behind the characters. I dug that the mm -hmm. fight scenes, the fight scenes between humans and clones. I don't know if they're actually clones. It does such a bad job of explaining who these bad guys are. Like just whatever there's bad guys. There's a militia. Mm -hmm. The martial arts scenes are noteworthy. They are so well done when she has her fight every time I'm thinking, well, damn, you, you, you hired a great choreographer for that mm -hmm. when um, oh, I keep, what was the blade guy's name? I can't even think of it now. Wesley Snipes. No. Uh, you, the, oh, the director. So do you remember like all of the, the nightclub scene essentially 
Like it used his fighting with the sword, with his ability. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it it did such great job combining that with the camera work that for me, that's still one of my favorite fight scenes. Mm -hmm. This had some of those elements, but the elements are isolated. They're two minutes long. And then there's 15 minutes strung together of what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And it's, Although I will say, um, <laughs> one of them is that another great review says it is truly awful. However, it does feature a bear with a minigun, and I guess that's something you can say about this movie. And again, Rock Dude—he was the best thing from Fantastic Four. Mm. The Invisible Woman in this was the best Invisible Woman that we've gotten so far. The Blade Guy, great Blade Guy. The Bear Dude, okay, he's a bear with a Gatling gun, so mm. why not? But man, that villain just wiped away all potential. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think they would have, and it's it, it it's frustrating because there are aspects that they did really well, like you said, like the the C, a lot of the CGI and a lot of those effects in the fight scenes and all that. Most of it is pretty solid. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm down with this. I love the the you know the stuff with Khan and the and the blade fight scenes i love those those were excellent um Xenia's invisibility effect yeah you're absolutely right on that the arsis's <laughs> transformation early like we said when they picked their camera angles very cool but then when we get to the end it's just like oh yeah gone ooh, yeah yeah do you think that this is a case of like i couldn't tell you know in some superhero movies you're like okay this is where the director lost the studio exec fight and there's a bunch of suit and ties making some decisions. Mm -hmm. Do you wonder if maybe that's what happened? Because it just feels so weird that the first third of this movie felt again, all potential. And then mm -hmm. it just started to erode. I think uh, so. I mean, cause it, it, it's telling that this came out. There's so much in, that this has in common with Justice League and with the Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie because they both have, you can see when the studio came in, right? So like you said, that first act is very strong, works, everything seems to be firing on all cylinders. And after, and same thing with, um, you know, the Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie, the first, the first half of that movie it's it's a terrible Fantastic Four movie, right? From beginning to end, it's a terrible Fantastic Four movie. But that first half is not bad as a movie in itself. It's, it, it had the potential. It had some potential to be something interesting. But then the second half, it's just like, it gets completely taken away. Same thing in, um, you know, Justice League has all these weird parts where it's like, okay, I see we got the whole hopeful Superman thing. That's good. That's a good change you made. Okay. And then we're trying to put in this weird Russian family. And it's like, why are we doing this here? And and same thing with this, right? We have this good, strong first act. We get decent effects with all of them. We get to introduce all the characters. Interesting premise of these uh, super soldiers created during the Cold War. I'm on board with this. And I think it's cool to examine. And one of the things I think it's cool with, with these superhero movies they can do is when they examine how history would change with like a superhero arms race or something like that. That's a, that's a really interesting concept. 
one of my favorite, you mentioned Ant-Man. One of my favorite things about Ant-Man is the whole idea that, you know, Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne were superheroes during the Cold War. That's interesting. That's cool. Let's see more stuff like that. And it's a cool concept. I would have liked to see more about that. Okay, so what's China doing with their super soldier program? Does America, uh, presumably, you know, America would have had a super soldier program as well. What was their program like? This would have been, there's a lot of interesting things to explore in there. Instead, we get all that interesting backstory. And then now let's put it in the present day and have generic supervillain trying to destroy the world. And, and it does get to a point where you're like, really every time a bad guy shows up, just go get the team together. Just Mm this will take you five minutes. Why are you doing this on your own? Like I have to suspend a lot of disbelief that you have all these super mighty friends and they're all out on dates right now. Yeah. (laughs) So I like when I I like historical components. That's one of my series. I said it Mm -hmm. in the forties because what would happen if something as simple as uh, Hitler is discovered early because Mm -hmm. of a psychic? Huh? Well, how would that change the rest of the world? And it, it ripples forward. So I love when things look at that singular moment, shift it, and then go ahead and go forward with it. Let us see what the the world looks like because mm-hmm. it's not going to be hockey dory. Like, like in this movie, uh, and I was a little angry that they sidestepped it. The Cold War happened. They they basically all just vanished for mm-hmm. seventy years. No, I I wish they had, some of them had stayed. Like, what would Russia be like at that point? There there is a more interesting story in this universe than Mm. the story they delivered us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that, and that's the story I want to see. Like, right, don't give me this, you know, generic supervillain in this terrible bodysuit. Give me the story about how that super soldier program ends. What happens when super soldiers like because one of the problems when the soviet union fell was all these weapons now flooding the black market okay what happens when you've got you know fucking super soldiers uh hanging around what happens to them after the soviet union falls and that was kind of like um what's the superman uh is it red sun yeah yeah so i love red sun because you get the classic Superman ethos that you're so, or the mythos that you're so familiar with. And we're going to change one simple thing. He Mm. fell into Russia and you spend the next, um, you, you spend the rest of the comic getting to explore what that would be. And yeah, that was this, that was the story I wanted. So and, and just that one change changes the entire fucking world, right? That that's yeah. what's amazing about it. And yeah, I, I'm with you 100. percent I mean, even with you know Watchmen, one of the coolest things about Watchmen on rereads is just how different that world is because of one superhero. Just one superhero exists, and because of that, everything fucking changes. So I. <laughs> I know people will argue to death with me. I love the movie for Watchmen. I originally read the comic. I was a huge fan. When the movie came out, it was everything I wanted in a bag of chips. And I know I'm probably the only person in the universe. But 
when it shows the newspaper fall of Batman's parents Mm -hmm. surviving, that one little change right there, I and I know that it was a loose tie-in and it didn't really impact anything, but right. just knowing that that one simple change could have created this whole world, I love that type of stuff mm-hmm. because, I mean, I've been reading comics for thirty-five years. At this point, like, there isn't a superhero story that we haven't done. So, mm-hmm. especially with the characters that we've you know grown to love, right? So. And that's why, like, I loved um, X-Men Unlimited, uh, no, X-Men, Spider-Man Unlimited? Was that what, that universe? When Spider-Man goes to Counter-Earth, you mean? The animated series? No, the, what is the, oh, God, now I'm not going to remember his name. Uh, not not Biden. Um, starts with a B. He did Miles Morales. That oh, Bendis. Oh, Bendis. Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That whole universe, I loved it. Mm. Simple things. Like, I, the X-Men on that was amazing. I loved it beginning to end because that X-Mansion gets destroyed a lot. How mm. did they fund it? Well, the X-Men go get corporate sponsorship, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, this movie... <laughs> I, I will I will find more people to make watch it. I don't know why. Like I feel like it's a train wreck I need to share with everybody. Um the first 20 minutes, everyone texts me. Oh, this I'm, doesn't look so bad. Just wait. It, yeah. And the yeah. Is coming. Yeah, it, it's coming and it's coming fast. Um Honestly, I'd say I wonder if there's like a supercut on YouTube or something. I'm sure there is of just like all the best action scenes in this movie. And I would say look for that first. You know, watch that because I think that would be give you the best experience of this movie. Because again, the plot makes no sense. It's there's the plot may not even exist, it, and the characters aren't. There's nothing special about the characters. The the best thing no. about this is is the effects, is the action scenes, and. And just the promise of the world it creates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're excited for a promise that never gets fulfilled. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I actually, I went back and watched some of the trailers. They did a trailer for each of the characters. If you go watch those, then go write the fanfic about it. That is exactly there what you everyone go. is doing. <laughs> because uh, it's going to be better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Jeremy. Well, thanks for coming on to talk about this movie. Uh, so why don't you uh, tell people where they can find your stuff? Oh, thank you for letting me subject you to this movie. <laughs> um, everyone can find me. Uh, probably the easiest place on my websites, uh, remyflag, R-E-M-Y-F-L-A-G-G.com or Ryder O'Malley. Um, I'm not going to spell it out it, exactly as it sounds. Um, you'll find my sci-fi. You'll find my my romance stuff um, and everything is available on Amazon. So whatever you're kind of feeling, just go for it. Okay, great. And we'll have links to those things in the show notes. Everybody can go uh, check out the the book series, either if you're, I mean, if you're listening to this show, obviously you like superheroes already. So um, check out those books. Also, if you're interested in superhero romance too, then you can check out that as well. So, um, but that does it for this episode of superhero cinephile, superhero cinephiles.com is the website, super cinema pod on Twitter and Instagram. 
And remember, you subscribe to our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You get these episodes a week in advance, no ads. Plus, you get access to the Book Club companion podcast where about once a month or so uh, we talk about comic books and graphic novels. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.